Pastor Josh mentioned, we're um, planning a church, starting a church, whatever you'd like to call it, uh, in Oklahoma City. And uh, as he kind of alluded to, you might ask, why another church, especially in the buckle of the Bible Belt, Oklahoma City? Well, uh, I have a lot of stats, a lot of information for you. Won't overwhelm you at this time. If you want more information, we have handouts. You can come and uh, bring those, and, and we'll, we'll give them to you. But uh, did you know that more people are coming to Jesus Christ as a direct result of new churches starting than by any other means right now in the world? Not just America, but in the world. So God is obviously moving and starting new churches. And if you would have asked me about a year ago that we would be starting a church, I'd say, no way. I'm not a church planner. I'm not cool. I'm not hip. I don't have any of that going for me. If you know me, you would never describe me as cool or hip, and I'm okay with that. But, uh, you know, I didn't think that I had the DNA to do that, but after six months of intense prayer, 40 days of fasting, uh, there's not a doubt in, in our mind that this is exactly what God wants us to do. We're excited and uh, looking forward to the future. If you want more information about it, come talk to us afterwards. Again, we have some handouts we could give you, just has some more information uh, about what we're doing. And again, I want to thank uh, Pastor Josh, and uh, let's give him a hand. How many times you clap for everybody else? Let's clap for him and give him uh, some thanks and some love. And I, I can't tell you how much it means to us um, that uh, you invited us here and uh, surrendered a Sunday and gave, gave to me. That really means a lot, and, and I can't tell you how much we appreciate that. Uh, you know, in, interestingly, this week is uh, Thanksgiving, as you know. If you didn't get that memo, and talking a lot about thanks. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine a couple weeks ago and who lives in another state. And he's a little younger than me, not much. I'm only 31, so in my opinion, I'm not that old, but I'm getting older anyway. So uh, I was talking to this friend, and in the course of the conversation, we were talking about, it was right before the election, we were talking about news and information. And he said, I get all of my news through Twitter, which shocked me and was a little discouraging and weird because I'm thinking, man, you need to get better, better resources than just Twitter, right? But he said, I get all my information from Twitter, which made me feel old because I just recently joined Twitter uh, and I got like five followers and they're all in my family, so I need to expand that. But so he said, you know, I, I get all my information there and I thought, man, I feel old because I still read the newspaper in print and in ink, right? And I, and I still watch TV and I still get the news. And as we were talking about that, you know, you think about technology and what a blessing it is, but also that everything happens in an instant. And as a result of that, we're so busy, we're pulled in 10 different directions, we, we're so distracted all the time. In fact, on the way up here, uh, the other night we were driving and I was talking to my wife and uh, we were talking about being you know, a good husband, a good father, and, and uh, she said, you know, one of the things is I think you're a little too attached to your phone. I never see you without your phone, which really convicted me, and so I thought, yeah, I need to kind of detach myself from my phone. And she said, you know, you may not notice this, but every night at dinner when we sit down, it's not just our family, but it's our family and your cell phone sitting right there. I didn't notice that. I hadn't thought of that. And the more I thought about it, she's exactly right. I'm so attached to the phone. I'm so attached to information and technology. And before we know it, all day, I even have updates on my phone, news alerts, that if anything happens in the world, I instantly know about it because of alert on my phone which is great, and that's awesome, and that's good, and we're so thankful we live in a technology age. However, the problem is, whenever I'm trying to have time with God, alone time, prayer time, devotion time, whatever you call it, and all of a sudden my phone beams and I get a text message or I get an alert that some, something happened around the world, 
my mind goes from being in God's presence to whatever that text message says. And then, I, and we do this, right? And I'm sure you do it because I do it. And so what we do is we say, well, I see that and, and I'll get back to my prayer time. God, hit pause. I'll get back with you in just a minute. Let me answer this text message. I answer the text message or I see what's going on in the world. And before I know it, 30 minutes have went by and I'm going on with my day and I've left my time with God hanging in the air. And so then before I know it, that just happens one day and I'll get back with it the next day. I'll, I'll, I'll catch back up on Tuesday. Before I know it, the same thing happens on Tuesday. Then before I know it, I went all week and my time with God is minimal at best and therefore the overflow of my life is really kind of stinky and staunchy because I haven't been pouring in. I haven't allowed God to deal with my heart and work in me because I've just been too busy. And you might agree with that, and you might say, man, you're, you're really talking to me. I'm too busy, too. And the encouraging thing for you is that's nothing new. The Bible even says that, that nothing new is under the sun. So uh, guess what? Anything that happens, it's already happened before. Nothing new under the sun. But you think you're too busy to spend time with God. You're too busy to have that alone time. Listen, maybe you'd be surprised if I tell you there was the greatest king, one of the greatest kings that ever lived in the nation of Israel. He, you might know him as the guy that killed the, the big giant named Goliath and he had an affair later in his life with a lady named Bathsheba. King David was too busy for God at a moment in his life and it was so critical, it was such a mess up that a man died as a result of David being too busy for God. And you might think, boy, I, I really shouldn't be too busy for God. Somebody may, may get killed. Hey, we hope not. I doubt that happens for you. That'd be bad, right? But what we are saying is, if you want to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6 in the Old Testament, this is talking about this exact passage. What's been going on, just to quickly set it up, this King David, guy we're going to be talking about today in 2 Samuel 6, David was getting the ark, and not Noah's ark, but this was a wooden box that had gold on top of it, and it had two angels, and they were stretched out over it, and in the middle of those two angels was God's presence, not figuratively, but literally, and we'll look at that in a moment, but God's presence. So the ark, whenever you would see that in the Old Testament, because the ark is a central figure in the Old Testament, whenever you would see the ark, it wasn't just that symbolizes God's presence, but most often God was literally there wherever the ark was the ark and, and without getting into a lot of detail had been captured by the nation of israel's arch enemy the philistines it had been captured and david realizes the value of god's presence he understands that god's presence in his life in his kingdom in his home in his palace is more valuable than anything else that he has so he sets off on a mission he sends seal team six out there they get the ark back from the philistines and they're, they're bringing it back to Jerusalem because David wants God's blessing on his home. As they're bringing the ark, David gets in a hurry. Hey, I get in a hurry. I can relate to this guy in the Bible over 4,000 years ago. David is in a hurry and, and God has given very specific instructions about how to handle the ark. In other words, God gives very specific instructions on how you and I should handle and interact with his presence. We don't do it haphazardly. We should do it with reverence and with awe. And God gives very specific instructions back in the Old Testament about how to specifically handle his presence. David is in such a hurry that he doesn't have time to follow those instructions. 
He just wants God's presence, right? I mean, we can admire his heart. We can understand his motive. I just want God here, whatever I got to do to get it. If I have to cut corners, I'll do it. And I've been guilty of that in my life. So what David does is he loads it on a cart, and God says, don't ever load the ark on a cart. You're supposed to carry it. But they load it on a cart. As they're carrying it, this, the, the, the cart stumbles. The ox that was carrying it stumbles. And a guy named Uzziah reaches his hand up and, and tries to stabilize the ark and is struck down and killed. Why was he killed? Well, you could blame him, but I think his motive was right. Why did this man die? Because David was in a hurry. He didn't slow down. He's in a hurry. When you're in a hurry with God's presence and you rush in God's presence, be careful of the consequences. Now again, we're not saying someone may die. I hope not, because if they do, that would just be crazy weird. But what we're saying is, be slow in God's presence. A man dies as a result of it. And so what they do, they, David says, that's it. I can't do it anymore. Uh, we need to learn this lesson. So David says, let's stop. Everybody stop. And they take the ark and they put it at a guy named Obed-Edom's house. Parents, don't name your kids Obed-Edom, right? Uh, uh, don't, don't do that. But he puts it at a guy named Obed-Edom, put it at his house for three months. The ark sat there. What's amazing, the Bible says that the longer the ark sat there in Obed-Edom's house, the more his house was blessed and his family was blessed and, and everything he had. It was an explosion of God's favor and God's blessing. How many of you know that when God's presence is in your home, that it will, no matter of time, it will explode your home with God's favor and God's blessing? Then the reverse is true. We're talking mainly to men right now, the, the spiritual leaders and heads of our home. That when you take time to invite the presence of God in your home, you sit back and watch God's blessing overflow on your kids, on your wife, on your finances, on the unity, on the peace, on the joy that will resonate in your home. God's favor will bless literally everything in your home. David understood that. That's why he's so desperate to get it there. But he hears that God is blessing Obed-Edom. And he wants that blessing for himself. And there's nothing wrong with that. I want God's blessing for myself. So he says, that's it. Let's go back and get the ark. And that's where we're going to pick up. 2 Samuel chapter 6. And we want to look at verse 12. Then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has. And everything he has. Why? Because the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with great celebration. And after the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. So, what the Bible is telling us is that David gets wind that, man, God is blessing the socks off of Obed-Edom's house. And everything he has, the Bible said it word for word, everything he has. Why? Because, the Bible says, God's presence was in his house. You want God's favor? You want God's blessing? It's not some ritual you have to go through. It's not some long prayer. Just invite God's presence in your home. Invite God's presence in your heart and in your life and sit back and watch him bless your socks off and all that you have because that's what the Bible says and it's true then it's true for us today 
And David's getting jealous of Obed-Edom, and I would too. And so he says, that's it. Let's do it right this time. Let's go back and get the ark of God. And they do it the right way. They don't carry it on a cart. They carry it on the priest. And, uh, and another part of the Bible talks about this exact same passage in First Chronicles. It gives a little more detail. It says that over 30,000 people were with him when he did this. Now, just quickly. Obed-Edom's house, the best that archaeologists can tell, is about six miles from Jerusalem. About six miles. Now, just quickly, most human beings, most people, can walk one mile in about 30 minutes. Some of you a little faster, some a little slower, but roughly 30 minutes in one mile. So, by, by all practical accounts, this walk, this trip of taking the ark six miles would take roughly three hours. Roughly three hours. In other words, David and these 30,000 folks could wake up, have some biscuits and gravy, then they could go down to Obed-Edom's house, get the ark, be back in time for some turkey and stuffing for lunch, right? And everything's going to be good, everybody's going to be happy. But instead, what I notice when I see this passage that stands out to me is that he took six steps and he stopped and sacrificed. Now, most scholars believe and agree that David didn't just take six steps one time and offer a sacrifice, but all six miles he took every six steps, he stopped and offered a sacrifice. One, two, three, four, five, six. He stopped, he makes a sacrifice to God, and he worships 30,000 men. The Bible says in First Chronicles that he had his generals, military men. He had worship leaders and priests. and I mean, it was a huge affair. The king and the royal court, and they offer uh, worship to God and praise to God. Then they go again, one, two, three, four, five, six. Everybody stop. All 30,000 of you, stop dead in your tracks. Lift up your hands and let's worship God and say thank you God for your presence. Thank you God that you gave us the ark which is your presence and that we're bringing it home where it belongs that you'll bless us. And so every six, for those six miles, every six steps, everybody stopped and he offers a sacrifice. Notice the difference of what we talked about earlier. Earlier, what happened? David was in a hurry. Hey, get the cart, load it in the back of y'all's pickup truck, head on to mama's house, we'll catch you up later, right? He's in a hurry. This time, he says, no, 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 we're going to take it slow. We're not in a hurry. The main thing is the main thing, and the main thing is God's presence. Let's take our time with God's presence. He takes his time. Every six steps and sacrifice. Later, we'll talk about some of the consequences, positive and negative, that this has. One of the main things we want to talk about is when you practice God's presence, your problems turn into praise. When you practice God's presence, your problems begin to turn into praise. And what we mean by that, there's an old book thousands of years ago that was written by a man named Brother Lawrence, and that's the title of it, Practice the Presence. Excellent, excellent, little, little book, but it's excellent. And that's what he says. Practice God's presence. In other words, continually be aware of God's presence. Continually have that relationship with Him. David, let's, if we kind of take a step back and look at the problems that he had going on here, he had a problem because he, got, he was in a hurry. That's his first problem. The second problem, a man died because of his hurry, because of being rushed. The third problem was he's trying to get the ark back. The fourth problem, and we haven't got there yet, but we will, his own wife turns against him as a result of that. And we're going to look at it a little bit later, but as a result of those different problems that he faced, 
Really, the more he praised every six steps and sacrifice, God turned his problems into praise. God turned his problems into worship and into thanksgiving. This passage really is all about how to and how not to encounter God's presence. David, taking his time, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 5, a little earlier, says that God's presence was literally with them. Literally right there. I, a few summers ago, had an amazing opportunity to go to Israel. If you haven't been, you should go. It's great. Went to Israel a couple summers ago. Spent two weeks there. I was taking a course, a, a seminary course. And as we're riding around through Jerusalem and all of Israel, we go to where the temple used to sit. It's the temple that Herod built in the New Testament and, and that uh, David's son here, Solomon, is going to build. And this, the steps are still there. Now, the temple's long gone, but the steps are still there, part of it. As we were there in that hot, hot July, if you go to Israel, don't go in July, right? Unless you're going to bring like cakes of deodorant and lots of water. But as we're there in this hot July afternoon, we're sitting there and we're looking at the steps going up because it's on a hill going up and the steps were not like these steps or steps that you might have in your home or where you work. The steps were not, uh, you know, six inches or a foot long. They were three feet long, six inches wide. Three feet long, six, they were long, short, long, short. And as we're looking at that, I asked the professor, I said, what's, what's going on with these steps? Somebody got an F in engineering class, didn't they? And he said, no, the idea is you cannot run up these steps. You have to walk, and you have to walk slowly up these steps. They're designed intentionally to take your time getting to God's presence. God doesn't want just to, here, rush, here I am. He wants us to take time preparing our heart, preparing our mind, coming into His presence, that we take our time being slow in God's presence, waiting on Him, seeking Him, preparing our mind and our heart for His presence. Maybe to help illustrate that, as we said, we have a illustrated message, but uh, an idea, as we think about that, I know that you're not going to take six, six steps and sacrifice because they probably call the authorities on you, um, but we don't have sacrificial things today, and that's okay, but instead of six steps and sacrifice, using some practical chairs, everyday chairs that you can find around your home, we came up with kind of this concept. What happens is, every day, you wake up, take a shower, put your clothes on, you come in to the kitchen for breakfast, and you sit down at the kitchen table at your breakfast chair. As you're sitting down, six steps begin. Right here, Father, I'm beginning the day today. Lord, I don't know what this day will hold. I don't know what's going to happen at 2 o'clock this afternoon when I'm at work. Lord, I'm waiting on a call from the doctor at 3 o'clock today. I'm a little nervous, but Lord, six steps and sacrifice. I begin with you. Right now, before I have my bran flakes this morning, Lord, I thank you. Father, I worship you because you are good, because your favor is on my life, because Christ died and rose again for me. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Six steps. And then... As you're going throughout the day, you're sitting in your car. I encourage people all the time, don't listen to the radio in your car. Don't listen to whatever you listen to. Turn it off and just worship. Six steps. Worship. Worship. And before you know it, you get to your office, wherever you work. 
Six steps. Lord, I thank you for this day. God, six steps in sacrifice. I'm not in a hurry today. Lord, I'm taking my time. Today, I'm keeping the main thing, the main thing, and that is your presence in my life. Six steps and sacrifice. Lord, I thank you for this job. Maybe you don't like your job. Maybe you get frustrated at your boss or at your coworker. What did we say a while ago? That when you take six steps, God will turn your problems into praise. God, I thank you for this job that you provided me with. Lord, I thank you for my boss. I know they get on my nerves, but Lord, they don't know you would you open their heart would you open a door that I could witness to them and share your love and your grace to them six steps and sacrifice Lord I thank you the job that you gave me maybe it's not the best by others but Lord it provides food on the table and a roof over my head I thank you then you get back in your car and you're going back home and you're not getting mad at that coworker. you're not getting mad because they shorted you on the paycheck or this or that on the car God thank you for that day at work Lord I take six steps and I sacrifice I stop everything I'm doing just to worship you for a few moments just to say thank you for your Lord thank you for this car I know other people have nicer cars I know that this car has cost me some money in repairs but Lord it's got four wheels and it works and I thank you for it Lord it's paid for I thank you for the blessing that it is is. Then when you get home at night, it's you and your family, and you sit down for a meal. And if you're like my family, we have two kids under the age of three, and, and we can't hear each other think because it's just so loud all the time. But, but you sit down, and God, I thank you. I thank you for how you bless me today. Lord, I thank you for the food that you put on the table. Lord, I thank you for my kids. I thank you for my spouse. God, I thank you for this house. I know other people might have nicer houses, but Lord, it keeps us warm in the winter and cool in the summer. It's a roof over. God, I thank you for the home that you gave me for the family you gave me how you've blessed me in all that I do God that you've turned what were problems before into praise opportunities and Lord only you could do that thank you God how you provided for me and then you're you go and then before you take you put the kids to bed and before you go to bed you're sitting there by yourself you got the tv off by the way you turn the tv off turn monday night football off and you're just spending those last few moments whether it's an hour 10 minutes five minutes you're spending those last few moments in prayer lord i thank you for this day lord i was worried about that at, at my work today that coworker, but god you took care of it and i thank you lord i was worried about that call from the doctor but you took care of it lord you provided god i thank you and so what you have just done in one day's time in a little bit longer than eight hours a day you have done six steps and sacrifice in your own life six steps and sacrifice in your own life think about this just for a moment imagine with me what would your family be like if you took six steps and sacrificed throughout the day you're not in a hurry. You're not listening to the radio. You're not answering that text message or that phone call right away. Hey, you can call them back. You can text them back. You take six steps and sacrifice. How would your family be different if you did it for one week? If you did it for one month? Oh, that's hard. I just showed you. It's not that hard. It's not hard at all. Well, you're a pastor. Oh, come on. No, that's an excuse. Don't be like David. Learn from this guy's mistake that, that don't rush God's presence. The Bible says in Romans in the New Testament that everything that was written down before was there to teach us and to instruct us. The example that we have of David is to teach you and to teach me, take your time every day in God's presence. Think about this. God, if you believe that God created everything, created the world, and which I believe he did, created all the stuff, Jesus died, rose again for you, and is coming back as we just celebrated, then doesn't it logically conclude that God 
is the inventor and creator of time itself. Therefore, if God created it and is the inventor of it, he owns it. Therefore, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, his famous Sermon on the Mount, he says, who of you by worrying can add a single day, a single moment to your life? All your worry, all your stress. You know what God's saying all along? I'm right here. I'm in the middle of your day. I was right here when you woke up this morning. In fact, it was me that woke you up. It was me that opened your eyes today. You could have been dead, but I brought you up today. It was me that gave you that car to drive to work. It was me that provided you that job. Oh, you think it's your education. You think it's your connections. No, no, honey. It was me. I did it. It was me that gave you your kids and your family and your home and your house and your possessions. It's me. It's me that has that little thump thump in your heart every few seconds. I've been around your day from beginning to end. In fact, I haven't even taken a sleep. I've been awake the whole time. While you were sleeping, you know what I was doing? I can't wait till they get up because I want to spend some time with them. I can't wait till you open your eyes and we're going to have a day together and we're going to spend some time together. But what some of us do is we wake up, we begin to complain already. I don't know what's going to happen today. I, I'm worried about that thing at my job and I don't know what's going to go on. And, and uh, Lord, would you please help me today? Bless the brand flakes and would you help me at my job? I got a text message. I got to go. Okay, I'm on my way to work. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm so concerned. This stinking car is a piece of junk. I need to get a new one. If I had more money, I could get a new car, but I can't. You know, if my spouse didn't spend so much, maybe I could afford one. You know, and when I get to the, I, I hate this job. I can't wait to get another job. This is just so lousy and so You see the way they treat me. You see their attitude. I deserve better than this. And then, we, and then we get home at night. My kids are driving me up the wall. Why did I even have kids in the first place? Man, I, this, is, this is crawling in my skin. I, I just wish I had some better food. I wish it wasn't burnt meatloaf again. This is, this is driving me crazy. And then at night, I'm just so exhausted. I'm so stressed. I'm so frustrated. And God is saying, it's your own fault, honey, because I've been here all along. I was here in the beginning. I wanted to watch you throughout the day. But you're too busy. And that's what David, David learned that the hard way. A man died because of it. David got in a rush. God, I just want you today. I just, okay, uh, let's get the guys. Let's get the cart. Let's get the ox. Let's go, guys. Okay, here we go. He's in a hurry. When David understood the principle, he teaches us the principle, six steps and sacrifice. Understand this. If you don't hear anything else, understand this. There is nothing more important that you will do in a 24-hour period than have a relationship with your Father in Heaven. Nothing more important. Nothing more important. It is the prime thing of your day. God is sitting there jumping up and down like a little kid at Christmas time. I can't wait for you to wake up because we're going to spend the day together. I'm not just uh, over your meals that you pray over. No, no, no. I'm part of your day every day, all day. I want to be with you. And when you practice six steps and sacrifice, that's exactly what happens. Lord, I thank you for this day. God, you're so good. You're so amazing on the way to work. Lord, I thank you for your blessing, how you've led me, how you've fed me, how you made a way where there was no way, how you provided. Lord, I thank you for, for my job. I thank you. And before you know it, what you've done all day long, you've had an ongoing, continual, nonstop relationship with the very being that created for you and died you. 
You've had a relationship with him all day. It's not hard. It's just not. I mean, I'd love to tell you there's some deep spiritual theological truth that make it hard. I wish I could. Maybe that would justify spending tens of thousands of dollars getting a master's degree. But it's not. It's not hard at all. It's easy. It's learning. There's nothing more important in my day than spending time with my father. And I don't just do it when I pray over my food. I don't just do it when a problem or crisis comes. Here's the thing. Whenever crisis comes in my life, I'm prepared. You know, what would happen if our military, unfortunately like other uh, countries, if our military didn't stand at an always readiness? If our military was lazy? If our military didn't continually practice and drill to be the best in the world, and they are the best in the world? When crisis happens around the world, it may take them a month to get ready. It may take them three months to get ready, and all of a sudden, America would be in a weak position. But no, what makes our military greater than men and women, but also because they're continually ready, always ready. In an instant, they could be anywhere in the world taking care of a situation. They're prepared for crisis. There are a lot, a lot, unfortunately, Christians who are not prepared for crisis when it comes in your life. What a lot of Christians do, because again, just like I was, we sit down, Lord, I thank you for the day I'm spending my time with you studying the Bible, all these things. Oh, I got a message. I got a phone call. I got to go. Then all of a sudden, you don't know when you're sitting down at night what your kid's going to tell you at dinner time. You don't know the day that they faced. You don't know your spouse might come home and say, I lost my job today. And you're not prepared for it. It catches you off guard. And when it catches you off guard, instead of just, oh, Lord, would you help us and, and being prepared, instead it's, why would God do that to us? We give our tithe every week. We're faith, we go to church. We read our Bible. We pray. And the Lord's saying, I've been trying to get your attention all day. I knew this was going to happen. And it caught you off guard. Instead, it needs to be, Lord, I was prepared for this. I didn't know it was going to happen just like this. I, I really didn't. But Lord, I'm prepared. I'm prayed up. I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. I don't have to spend an hour in my prayer closet. I don't have to get on my knees and fast and pray. All that's important because I already have done those things. I already am spiritually prepared for whatever the enemy may throw my way today. I'm ready to go. It's go time. Let's go. You're ready. How would your family... How would your job, how would your relationship with God be different if you took six steps and sacrificed? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 in the New Testament says this, Through Him, meaning Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, there's that word again, which is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. I'm thankful that things have gotten a little better for us, that we don't have to stop every six steps and literally sacrifice an animal. Jesus took care of that for us. But instead, what Hebrews 13, 15 says in the New Testament, that we should continually offer up praise to God. How? With the fruit of our lips. It's in your driver's seat. You are in charge of that. So the question is, are you doing that right now? Every six steps throughout the day, giving God praise with the fruit of your lips. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for my family. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy in my life. 1 Thessalonians in the New Testament 5 verses 16 through 18 says this. I love this passage. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. 
Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong in Christ Jesus. There's a lot of Christians, what's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? Well, the Bible tells you, sister, it is just to never stop praying and always be thankful. That's God's will for you. Don't stop praying. Always be thankful. How do I do it? Six steps in sacrifice. Six steps in sacrifice. Never stop praying all day, every day. Always be thankful. I have a thankful heart. I, everything I have could be gone tomorrow. I'm thankful for what I had. I don't have that much to begin with, so it really, you know, it's okay. We have a thankful heart. Have a thankful attitude. Not just one day a year at Thanksgiving because you eat the meal and then you deal with your relatives and now you're ready to get out of there. You're not thankful at all. No, always be thankful. Every day is Thanksgiving for me. I don't eat turkey every day and stuffing. I wish I did. But every day I thank God. I, 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 when I read this several years ago, over 10 years ago, I put this into practice in my life. It's changed my life. Now what I do every day, throughout the day, at random times, at random opportunities, I stop, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, I literally stop. I throw my hands up. Thank you, God, for this day. Lord, I thank you for how much you love me. I thank you for your favor and blessing on my life. I thank you how you provide. If I thank you for my wife and my kids, Lord, I thank you for the health that you gave. I thank you for this home. I thank you for my vehicle. God, you're just so awesome. You're so, thank you, Lord, I love you. And then I go on. I do what I'm doing. Another hour goes by or 30 minutes or two hours, whatever it is. God, thank you again. I know it's been a, a little bit, but I just want to tell you thank you again. I just want to tell you I love you, how awesome you are. Lord, you are so good. I want to always give you praise. I want to never stop praying. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and goodness in my life. And then a little bit later goes on. I stop again, man. I, my wife has caught me a time or two. She might think I'm crazy, but, but she's caught me. I do it no matter what. My kids see me do it. I'm not ashamed. I have been known to go to baseball games and go into the men's uh, restroom in a stall. And I just, Lord, thank you for the game today. Lord, thank you for letting me have this. I don't raise my hands too high because then they think something's weird's going on. But Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for how much you just love. I thank you for giving me the opportunity to go to a baseball game. I just love it. Thank you, Lord. Do it all day, every day. My vehicle's not the nicest vehicle, but man, it's paid for. I love it. God, thank you. It runs. You provided it for me. What if your friends on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, knew how much you love God instead of how much you trash other people? What if? How would your life be different? How would you represent Christ differently? If your friends on Facebook, your coworkers, family, whatever, if they knew how much you love God, if they knew that you were practicing six steps in sacrifice, instead of all your political opinions, all your political views, this person didn't say hi to you, and you're mad at them, you're never going to shop at that place again because they were just rude to you. Hey, that's not six steps in sacrifice. That's called six steps in bitterness right there. Six steps in sacrifice. How would that be different? Praise God all day throughout the day. Learn from David's mistake. Don't be in a hurry. Doing things our way without prayer results in disaster and grief, but doing things God's way brings peace and blessing. Understand this principle. The faster you go, the slower he moves. This is what this passage tells us. The faster you go in your life, in your relationship with God, the slower he'll move in your life. You want God to answer prayer? You want God to move? If you're rushing throughout the day, not spending that time with Him, it's going to take a while. But the slower you go, the faster He moves. When you take your time, Lord, there's nothing more important for me today than spend time with you 
the quicker He moves in your life. The faster He'll move in that situation you've been praying about. Listen, you don't have to pray long, drawn-out prayers. The most famous prayer of all time is what Christians call the Lord's Prayer. It's Jesus' model prayer, if you will. It's 52 words long. I personally don't believe in long, drawn-out prayers. I mean, I, I do that sometimes in my own private life. But, but if you ask me to your home and want me to pray over your meal, my family knows it. I don't believe in long prayers because... You know, why? I mean, the food's already there. It's already been killed. I mean, it's already been processed. You know, I mean, it's, it's so why do that? It's not like a diesel engine where I have to really crank it and I have to really work up the prayer and work up and 30 minutes later and I'm still praying over our meal. No, no, no. Why? Because I've been praying all day. I mean, it's just a little part of my day eating the food and I'm thankful for it, Lord. Would you bless it? Amen. Let's eat. I don't believe in long prayers. Jesus didn't believe in long prayers. He prayed all night a few times, but that was privately. Every time, notice this, Jesus prays in public, it's short prayers. Every single time. When there was somebody that had a demon in them, he prayed a short prayer. Come out in the name of Jesus. Come out. And they came out. When somebody was sick, you know all they did? Be healed. Boom. They're healed. He didn't pray, oh God, would you please, would you do it, Lord? I hope that you will. Lord, if it's your will, God, could you? And 30 minutes later, God's exhausted, you're exhausted, the person you're praying for, they're asleep by now. No. Pray these short prayers, and it only works if you've been prayed up all day long. You've been having that communion with Him. You've been spending time with Him. You've been doing six steps and sacrifice. That way, when I get to this point in my life, I don't have to pray a big, long prayer. I'm ready to go. I just pray, Lord, would you touch that situation? Would you heal that person? Because I'm, I'm prayed up, man. I'm ready to go. Secondly, how you respond to God's presence determines your results. This is really critical and important. How you respond to God's presence determines your results. And we see this quite clearly in verse 16, 2 Samuel chapter 6. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, which is also David's wife, looked down from her palace window, and when she saw the king, doesn't even call her her husband, when she saw the king, she was filled with contempt for him. When you picture this, God's presence is finally coming home, which means God's blessing is about to just bust out your seams of your palace house, honey. You're going to about to have more stuff than you ever dreamed of. God's favor and blessing is going to be all over you. And David is celebrating. 30,000 people are worshiping, celebrating. And what does Michael do? Contempt. How you respond to God's presence is in direct correlation to the results you get in your life. This is the main theological truth of this passage in us today. I think it's fascinating that two people in the exact same house, we're talking about husband and wife, and unfortunately some of you could really relate to that, unfortunately. But two people in the same house can have polar opposite responses and reactions to God's presence. There is the husband who is so full of joy. He's dancing and leaping and, and she, she's full of contempt and rage at the display, the despicable display he's throwing on there. Two people in the same house. I'd love to hear what they talked about at dinner that night. And unfortunately, it says that it doesn't even call her the husband of David. It says she's the daughter of Saul. The writer of 2 Samuel is trying to say, hey, hint, hint, Saul was kind of a wicked, shady guy, a horrible king, horrible guy. He was full of selfishness. And at the end of his life, he was full of contempt for God himself. So much so that instead of going to God in prayer, he went to a witch in prayer. You can't get much more extreme than that, right? So, it says, in other words, 
like father, like daughter. You know what that tells me? Parents, you better watch how you handle God's presence in your home. I heard somebody say this a long time ago. Best advice I've got in a long time. Parents, what you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. What you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. Here's what I mean by that. I grew up in a great Christian. You can't get much better than the home I grew up in. My parents love God. Guess what? I'm on fire for God. I love God. All the, I mean, I'm just, I'm inundated with this stuff. But I've seen other parents who, they come to church once in a while. Their relationship with God is, is kind of spotty at best. It's up and it's down. Crisis come. Okay, let's get close to God. Crisis passes. Uh, let's go to the lake today. And before you know it, when their kids grow up, they have no relationship with Christ. They're gone. They're like, hey, it ain't the youth pastor's fault. It ain't your pastor's fault. I hate to say, but look in the mirror. Because your relationship, did your kids see you pray? Did your kids see you worship the Lord? Did your kids see you raise your hand, thank you, Lord, for your blessing, for your... Did your kids just watch you take communion a while ago? Do your kids see you worship? Do they see you study God's Word? What you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. And instead of celebrating like the rest of Israel, the whole, the whole nation, 30,000 folks. Think about this. 30,000 people are worshiping God, enough to fill a stadium. One person criticizes. Nobody, there's always that one. 30,000 people are happy. They are given a worship service to rock your socks. One person criticizes. They're celebrating God's presence, literally coming home. She criticizes. What I love is that David, why would a king, and that's her thing, why would you have that contempt? Look what else she says here in verse, verse 20. When David returned home to do what? Bless his own family. Listen, men, you need to be blessing your families. You need to be blessing your wives and your kids. Well, every time that we've moved into a house, we take anointing oil and we cover our door. But you say, well, that's weird. I don't care. I just do it. And I've had God's blessing and favor in my home. I want to bless my home. I want to bless my wife. I want to bless my kids. Why? Well, the Bible just told me to do it. David returns home to bless his family. And Michael, again, there it is again, the daughter of Saul, not even his wife, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David said in reply to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me over your father and all of his family. He appointed me the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. And by the way, Michael, honey, I am, more, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will think indeed that I am distinguished. Look at verse 23. So Michael, the daughter of Saul, remained childless, throughout her entire time. By the way, this is the last time we ever hear of Michael. Last time. Never mentioned again. David goes on to do great things and be celebrated as a great king of Israel. What's interesting is she accuses David of dancing naked. He wasn't naked. The Bible just told us he was wearing a linen ephod, which was a linen garment. He's dancing. He's rejoicing. And, he's, and she says, how distinguished you are. You ever been criticized for your love for the Lord? How you worship Him? How you just love being in time with him? We love to respond like that. Maybe you know we shouldn't do that. But but what David says, he says, you know, 
God chose me to be king of Israel. And it was before him, not you, that I was dancing. It was before him that I was worshiping because God's presence is finally coming to my house. God is going to be with me. God is going to bless me. And so I was celebrating before him. In other words, David says, Michael, the difference between your daddy and me, your daddy thought he was the king and the boss. I understand that God is the king and the boss. I'm just a servant. He's the king. He's the one that I'm going to worship. He's the one that I'm going to celebrate and bow my knee to and give thanks and give praise to I understand who the real king is I understand that it's not I'm not the breadwinner of my home the Lord is the breadwinner of my home I understand that it's not how uh, I have health because I eat well and I exercise no I have health because God blesses me with that I understand the king of my home is not me but it is him and it is before him that I'll celebrate and I will dance and I'll become even more undistinguished than this How you respond to God may determine how your children worship. David didn't care what others thought. He only cared about bringing God's presence home. Some of you in the room may be wondering, you've been praying for something for months and months and months. You've fasted. I mean, you've been, you've really been praying about it. Nothing's happened. And you may be wondering, why God? I'm doing all the right things. Why is it happening? I just, in love and humility, I would just maybe submit to you, maybe it's your response to His presence that is kind of blocking God's blessing in your life. What I mean is, because Michael responded with criticism instead of praise, she, it blocked her womb. She could not have kids the rest of her life and became a footnote in history. But because David unashamedly loved his God, worshipped his God, celebrated before his God, was, became a blessed king. In fact, look just real quick. Chapter 7, verse 1. When King David was settled in his palace, and the Lord did what? Given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. You want rest from your enemies? You want that problem to turn into praise? How you respond to God's presence. Are you taking six steps and sacrificing? Or are you just kind of rushing through it? We got to go to church today. I hope we're out by noon because I want to, you know, eat some fried chicken at KFC, whatever it is. And you rush, rush, rush. I got, I'd love to spend time with you. I got a phone call. I got to take it. You rush, rush, rush. And because of that, you're not really responding to his presence. Again, God is saying, I'm here. I've been here the whole time. I have been excited for you to wake up because I just want to look for opportunities to bless you. I want to look for ways that I can just bless your socks off. But you're not giving me that because you're not responding to my presence that I'm trying to show you. Instead, what we need to do is six steps and sacrifice. God, thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for how you bless me. I thank you for what you're doing. Continually, six steps and sacrifice. Maybe God hasn't answered because how you're responding to his presence. Think about this. What if Michael would have had a different attitude, right? What if Michael, instead of looking down her palace window in contempt for her husband, the king, what if she would have said, there's the ark. It's kind of, I, I, I got to go, girls. I'm going to be right back in a little bit. And she runs down the palace steps. She runs down her little tower. She runs, and she's right there on the front lines with her husband, celebrating God, dancing, celebrating what God did in her life, how much God's going to bless her, how much God loves her, how much God's favored. What if she would have done that? I, I really believe the Bible doesn't say this, so we have to be careful, but I really believe they would have had a lot of kids. I mean, she would have had tons of kids. I really believe that because she responded differently to God's presence. Instead of contempt, it would have been praise and thanksgiving and six steps and sacrifice. 
Maybe all you need to do for that breakthrough in your life, for God to answer that prayer in your life, is to change your response to His presence. And notice this, by the way. This is interesting. That God doesn't control people's responses to His presence. God does not say, when, when Uzziah was carrying the ark and he touched it, God doesn't say, I made you do that. The devil didn't make him do that. God doesn't say, Michael, I'm going to make your heart hard. I'm going to make your heart full of content. What kind of God would that be? He didn't do that. God similarly didn't say, David, I want you to dance. I want you to celebrate. God didn't make David do that. It's up to you how you respond to his presence. Only you can control that. Hey, David wouldn't even let his wife stop him. Well, there's some submission issues, right? David wouldn't even let his wife stop him from praising God. Only you and you alone, not the pastor, not the worship leader, doesn't care if we're singing, Mary had a little lamb, how great thou art, doesn't matter. Only you can respond to God's presence. Nobody else. God will not make you. The enemy will not make you. David goes on to live a blessed life. And Michael went on to live a miserable life just like her father. She's never mentioned again. So, in wrapping up, practice His presence. Six steps in sacrifice. Lord, I thank You from the moment my feet hit the floor. And I do this every day. Did it this morning. going to do it tomorrow morning. Before my feet hit the floor, Lord, thank You for this day. That I'm alive today. I thank You. I don't care if it's cold, hot. I don't care what's going on outside. I don't care what I have for breakfast. I just love You today. Lord, I give this day to You. I give myself to You. I thank You for Your love and Your mercy in my life. I give whatever's going to happen today to You. Six steps in sacrifice. Lord, I thank You for the job. Lord, I thank You for my family. God, I thank You for what You're doing in my life. What if? How would your life be different? Six steps in sacrifice. And again, God will turn your problems into praise when you do this. Change your response to His presence. You're going to be like a David in the beginning and rush, 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 like a lot of us are. It's hard. It's easy. In 2016, we are so full of technology, but David was rushed just as much. Are you going to slow down? It's only six miles. They could have done it in three hours. It most likely took them all day long. Slow down. Change your response to God's presence. Let's pray and invite Pastor Josh back. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace, your love for us. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word that is unchanging and uncompromising. We thank you, Father, for the example that we see here of David, of what he did in the beginning and how not to respond and rushing in your presence and what he did in the end to take our time. And that, Lord, it's not hard for us just to take our time every moment, every day through these different chairs that we have setting up here, just to stop what we're doing just for a few minutes, just for a few moments and say things. They don't have to be long, drawn-out, hour-long prayers, but just for a few moments. Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness and blessing in my life. Lord, may you turn our problems into praise. And Father, help us to never be a Michael, to be critical of other people, to be critical of your... Because she wasn't criticizing David, she's really criticizing you. She didn't want your presence to come home. Father, may we never be like that. May we be like David and unashamedly celebrate your love and your goodness in our life. Father, we love you and we thank you. We're nothing without you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.